it's a way to put some responsibility on your crew because your team, they know exactly what to do. They are trained. There's no place occupied in my airplane to perform my flight, to deliver my project, which is uh, the flight from A to B to uh, in a safely and comfortable ma manner with my uh, passengers. So there, there's no uh, occupied seat by a crew member who just sits there. So everybody has to do their job. And uh, in, in this way of uh, splitting the responsibility on each person in your crew, uh, this will make uh, them more responsible. Hey, what's shaking? Welcome back to All In. I'm your host, Rick Jordan. And before we dive into this, one thing I always ask now is because the only way we reach more people, the only way we grow, because at All In, we do not take sponsorships. We do not promote this with ads. The only way we grow and help more people is by you sharing this every single episode. So you're going to want to share this one because we got really, really cool people on today. I mean, just amazing. I'm ready to be blown away as you are. So share this with three people because my guest today wrote a book, co-authored a book called Dark Cockpit. That just sounds incredible just in the title and I can't wait to, to dive into this with them. So we've got Octavian Pantis, co-founder of Qualians and Captain Emil, and well, I'm, I'll let you do your last name. My name is Emil Dobrovolsky. Dobrovolsky. Yeah. I did that pretty well, didn't I? You, you were close yes. enough. <laughs> okay. I, I love that. That's awesome. You guys wrote a book and you know, I, I'm pretty excited about this book. You know, I'm hoping it comes out an audio book at some point in time. I didn't look yet to see if it's available there because that's how I typically consume. But tell me about your book. So the audiobook version is coming out uh, towards the end of this year. For now, you can buy it in paperback and Kindle. It's a book that taps into the uh, huge treasure of know-how from aviation. Not only about the technical side, we don't go into that, the, the uh, hydraulic systems or whatever is there, but on the communication side, on leadership, on crisis management. Um, just imagine before COVID hit, there used to be uh, up to 200, 250,000 flights, commercial flights per wow. day in 24 hours. So imagine that so many things must go well to make that happen, right? And there's a huge treasure of, of know-how and the book translates it into and builds bridges into the lives of entrepreneurs, of people who uh, lead a team or who lead just their professional careers and would like to improve the way they communicate, the way they lead and the way they handle what's, what's coming at them every day. That's incredible. You know, I was just reading through because we're coming up, you know, being in the United States, we're coming up on the 20 year anniversary of 9-11. And, yeah. and I was just reading through the timeline of events and even some of the transcripts between this was just a week ago between the tower and the cockpit. And the the types of communication that goes back and forth is just mind boggling. And I, I remember even just listening to uh, this was years ago on United Airlines. You could actually plug in and listen to the radio back and forth and listen to the conversation. I was just blown away by by all the intricacies that have to go into flying this enormous hunk of steel <laughs> in the air yeah. and, and just to keep everybody safe. You know, yeah. and it's incredible. But then as a pilot. Emil, you have to communicate with the crew too, right? 
Yeah, it's exactly my words. To make this machine, this metal tube of uh, hundreds of tons to fly in a safety manner, in a, together in the same airspace with other aircraft, it's a, it's a science to, to do this. And uh, I know that in the personal life of pers or, or your listeners or my passengers or in the professional lives of other people involved in other business than aviation, uh, every time when sometime, something goes wrong, Everybody will blame the communication. Everybody will say the communication was uh, uh, wrong, that was uh, not honest, was not direct enough. Uh, but in aviation, is a paramount information. It's a matter of death. And um, uh, my word is that aviation history was written in blood. So for us to communicate in a proper way, in between us, uh, in a cockpit, in a dark cockpit, when you're not seeing each other, to validate the... Um, uh, the body language to validate the message with other things other than just words and the tonal tonality of your voice and the pitch of your voice. This is a science. And also to talk with the tower, to air traffic controllers, to give orders uh, when you're building a decision for an emergency situation. This requires a different kind of skill. And there's nobody to teach you exactly how to do it. You can have some um, uh, cornerstones, uh, some guidance, but you have to practice it. So uh, every time I'm going to simulate with my uh, students, uh, with my pilots, I'm telling them that they are expert communicators. And every, every time they are surprised. And when I explain them why, they agree with me. And uh, in the book, we explain why the, the importance of uh, communication aviation is so, uh, so huge. That's incredible. Now, how did you mention the, the phrase dark cockpit? And I'm assuming that's just more than a book title, right? What, what does that actually mean in your industry? It's an aviation um, term, meaning that everything goes smoothly in a cockpit. There's no warning lights, there's no caution, there's no uh, uh, chimes, there's no alerts. There's no uh, blue lights, uh, meaning that uh, you have an extra consumption. There's no white lights, meaning that some systems are off. Everything is uh, lit by environment lights and the cockpit, when you look at it, there's no uh, lights to alert you, to trigger your attention. That means that you are doing the things properly. That means that you are operating the aircraft properly. You're following the procedures and uh, the aircraft uh, works uh, in a safely uh, manner. As soon as you have a trigger, as, as soon as you have a light, there's no more co dark cockpit. So there's no dark cockpit anymore. There's an immediate, immediate uh, attention trigger that you see that some systems are in, uh, in fault or some systems are off or some systems are um, uh, exceeding, exceeding some values, some advisory. It's like in, uh, in your real life when you have uh, lots of things going nice and smooth and sometimes you have uh, a partner which is in fault. But if you, if you imagine your dark cockpit, you see this light and you can cope with it, you can manage your, your uh, next steps uh, taking care of uh, that light. So uh, the whole book is a bridge between the aviation know-how and knowledge through the business industry, to the other industries, to the business, to management, to leaders, they want to lead their uh, teams, to young uh, people, they want to develop their skills, for students, they want to become uh, uh, more advanced in what they are doing. That's incredible. Yeah. Octavian, how did you guys meet? 
Because it, oh. have you been longtime friends or something? Because it's just it's an it's an interesting combination for co-authors. <laughs> yeah, we we met um, we met about um, it must have been twelve years ago. I was flying with my family, uh, and um, um, I was surprised that as soon as we took off, the captain addressed the passengers, and we could understand everything he said. You know, I, I'm sure you've been on flights where you captains go like something like they hold their nose or something. Like, well, wait, 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 no more flight temperature. And then yeah, you say, yeah, we're okay, about 150 miles but away from uh, exactly, landing, and uh, exactly. you know, we're going to descend to uh, to you know 2,000 feet, and uh, we need your seatbelts on. And I don't know. Yeah, no, I'm hearing yeah, so it. I hear you, them. Yeah, yeah so it's like gibberish. There. You've been there. Yeah, yeah. and our, our readers have. Uh, for sure experienced that. So I was very surprised that we could understand everything that the captain was saying. And not only that, that he was announcing altitude and speed and whatever, but he told us what we can see on the right-hand side of the yeah. plane and uh, all those things. So I um, I asked to say just hello to the captain. And I found out it's uh, it was uh, Emil Dobrovolsky. We stayed friends. And then uh, because we have an uh, international training and consulting company, sometimes we invited him to address audiences. This, this was way before COVID, to talk about stories from aviation and learn lessons learned. And I was in the room just to make sure everything was fine. And every single time, the audience was very impressed and the audience was left with a lot of food for thought. And I could see that there's a lot of value for us as non-pilots uh, in what he was, was sharing. Um, so we stayed in touch. And about three years ago, we said, hey, Emil, yeah, you have to write a book because there's, there's so much uh, know-how there. And it's so nice and so meaningful and so nicely presented. And then he said, Octavian, why don't we do it together? Because I, I, I wrote... I, I'm a best-selling author of a number of books, one on productivity and work-life balance and future of work. So we said, fine, let's let's write it together. Uh, we spent about one year uh, working on it. It, it. For me, it was fascinating to discover uh, on purpose what's going on behind the scenes. And we've placed all that in the books. If I may, let me just give you a quick example. So imagine there is an emergency landing. And the plane has, has landed. There, maybe there's an engine on fire and everybody needs to be evacuated. And the question is, of all the things that need to be done, what is the, what is the captain doing? And the answer is, the captain is doing nothing of all that. The, the co-pilot is very busy. The co-pilot is checking everything and communicating and pressing all the buttons. The flight attendants are very busy attending to the passengers, making sure everyone's fine, preparing the exits. But the captain, what does the captain? By, by system, by design, they don't overwhelm the captain with jobs, with tasks to do in that moment, but they allow them, the captains, time to, this is what may, you may have heard Emil uh, earlier say, we build a decision. Now, that's not usually the way you phrase it, but it, that's what they do. They take into account what's going on, where's the wind, where's the engine, where's the fire, where's everything, and they build a decision. And by contrast, if you look at uh, businesses in a crisis, in an entrepreneurial company, who's the busiest in the room? It's usually the entrepreneur, right? They make all the phone calls, they talk to everybody, they want to have a say in all the details. So there's a huge contrast in aviation. By design, they're left non-operationally busy so that they can think and take a step back and decide what's the, what's the best thing to do. And there's a huge learning just in that example, uh, just in that example there. So that's, that's how we met and that's how we came to work together. That's a great lesson in leadership. Because, uh, Emil, yes. I was just talking with uh, one of my board of directors, one of my directors on my board the other day, and he was coaching me. Because you know, I'm like, we, we have these, these initiatives that are coming up, and you know, it, it's a little daunting with some of these things. And he goes, I'm going to give you 
one sentence that's going to change your life. So write this down and then read it every day when you feel overwhelmed, whatever it is. And he goes, ready for this? I'm like, okay, give it to me. You know, <laughs> you know, a little skeptical at the point, but I mean, the, he's a great mentor to me. He's on my board and he's a great mentor to me also. And he goes, most of your goals do not require your action. Mm. I was like, huh. He goes, so the, read it back and replace with my. So I said, most of my goals do not require my actions. And I was mind blown because in that moment nice. I felt like I could breathe, you know. <laughs> and so, yeah. and it allowed me to to zoom out and take a look at things that were going on. And if everybody else completes the task, you know, like what they need to do, communicate with the tower for the flight attendants to secure the doors, exactly yeah. what you're talking about, you know. And, and you're saying Octavian and, and that Emil was explaining this to you, right, Emil? And that this is by design in aviation, right? <laughs> Uh, yeah, because uh, look, it's a way to put some responsibility on your crew because your team, they know exactly what to do. They are trained. There's no place occupied in my airplane to perform my flight, to deliver my project, which is uh, the flight from A to B to within a safely and comfortable ma manner with my uh, passengers. So there, there's no uh, occupied seat uh, by a crew member who just sits there. So everybody has to do their job. And uh, in, in this way of uh, splitting the responsibility on each person in your crew, uh, this will make uh, them more responsible. They will be more um, uh, involved and they will care more about the, the outcome of the project. And I'm talking about a normal flight because, uh, of course, in an emergency situations, it's a little bit different. You have to act. You cannot sit there. I will uh, just put my chair back in my mind to have a better overview, to see everything, to take a, a to build a better decision than just to flying with the aircraft in front of my eyes and trying to take all the decision like an orchestra man. So like this, in uh, splitting all the work to be done into different place, uh, to different crew members, this will assure you that they will do their job. You can supervise and you can have a, a better overlook, uh, oversight of the whole action. And at the end of the day, if you, if you uh, evaluate the performance of a leader who does this, uh, in uh, contrary with a leader who's doing everything, uh, I'm sure in 99% of the cases, the performance will be better with the leader, which is open to, to leave uh, other people do their, their jobs. So yeah. in, a, in an emergency situation, as Octavian described, imagine that uh, you are in a, uh, in a comfortable aircraft and all from the sudden you hit a, I don't know, an, uh, a car in the runway or one of your engine goes on fire, you have to abort your takeoff. And it's dark, maybe smoke, everybody's yelling. And the, uh, um, there's, there's an emergency drill before ordering the passengers to evacuate because the engines are running, because you have to look at the... the the way the wind blows, you have to think how many passengers, where are you at exactly on the runway? Because when you evacuate, your role doesn't stop there. You have to go out with your symbol of power, with your hat, captain hat on to, to bring passengers together to uh, run in a safe uh, area because the fire brigade trucks will arrive to the aircraft. And all this, you have to take them into consideration instead of just pushing some buttons uh, from uh, an emergency drill. The co-pilot is very, very well trained. They know their role. They will do this and you'll sit back and look and build your decision based on all this. 
At the end of the day, you will order the evacuation and you will call for the tower and you will explain everything and you have to take care of your passengers to go to a safe corner. So this is a better way other than pressing buttons, as I said before. Yeah. This is a skill set that I'm currently, I, I would say, I've been in process of learning now for a little while. And Octavian, I'm probably, I'm assuming that you probably have written about this in some of your other books too. Because being an entrepreneur you know, and, and founding a company 12 years ago, that's really what a lot of it does. And you know, I just even record a solo episode about the, your, what your first hire should be. And it's like your first yeah. hire should be that co-pilot. You know, the, the person yeah. to do all of the work for you so that you can focus on growth and strategy and making the business decisions in order to continue to move forward. And even exactly. now, I've noticed at yeah. different stages because I, I learned that early on. But then as new things come, as you, as you reach new levels in business, you know, there's different decisions and there's different types of work and there's different roles that have to exist in a company as you reach a million dollars, $3 million, $10 million, $100 million in revenue. There's different things that are required of you as the yeah. captain <laughs> there's probably yeah, different things true. required of you as a captain if it's on a on a regional jet than it is you know a 757 right <laughs> yeah and what what we say uh, is that the uh, one of the easiest things to do today is to be busy uh, in work because uh, it's enough for you just to open your inbox and there's tens of emails there from everybody wanting for your asking for your help do you know this do you know the other and then you yeah. have the all the apps and then you have the social media and and all of a sudden you look at your watch and say oh my god it's 2 p.m already where did the day fly i uh, missed lunch because, yeah <laughs> yeah, <it was> lunch. <laughs> yeah and the um um, some people are not really good at saying no, but they have to, and they have to say no before it's too late. Too late might mean I've put on uh, 20 pounds or I'm smoking all day long, or I've, I've, my, my business is in half or my business is lost, whatever, or before, uh, customers drop them because they're not, um, attending to customers too well. But yeah. the easiest today is to be busy, but that's not the best. The best is to what we call smart busy, meaning purposefully or intentionally selecting the, the, the sort of things you want to be involved in where your strengths are. As we saw for some entrepreneurs that is in the strategy and oversight. For some other entrepreneurs, maybe open the restaurant, maybe their area of strength is that they're a two-star Michelin uh, chef, fine. What is the best thing they could do? Well, spend some time cooking and also growing other, other chefs, which is also something that uh, happens a lot in aviation. There's a saying in aviation that I like very much, and Emils uses it a lot. In aviation, we grow our co-pilots. So it's an intentional effort to make sure that the one next to you grows. And again, by contrast, if you look at other professions, it's not always like that. In some other professions, yeah, you're here, you just do your job. I don't care if you grow. I'm not paying you to grow. I'm paying you to do A and B and C. And in some other professions uh, where there's a pyramid, I realize that there's not enough place at the top for both of us. So I will do whatever it takes for me to get ahead first. But in aviation, it's a discipline of captains to grow their co-pilots because then um, they are a better team and they can better face whatever comes at them at uh, 39,000 feet up in the air. How do, uh, Emil, how do you do that? How, how do you grow your co-pilots? First of all, you have to be an example as a leader, because imagine I, my, I meet a new team every day. So I have to be the leader of a brand new team every day, uh, not just their boss. So I have to, to lead by example to, to, I'm always the first in my briefing room 
I'm already briefed myself when I start the briefing. I'm not starting in front of them, looking on, the, on my papers, uh, how's the weather, how many passengers, what's special about the, the flight. So uh, to grow up a co-pilot, first of all, you have to be very, uh, to show a high degree of uh, discipline. You have to follow the procedures always. You cannot tell I'm an instructor for the last 18 years. I'm an instructor with the European Union Aviation Safety Agency, the FAA in Europe. So I, I, I met I met these kind of instructors or captains. They will do different things against the SOP, telling to their co-pilots, look, I know it's against the SOP, but you don't do it like me. This is not a good way to teach them. So my way is I'm always following the procedures and I'm always strict and disciplined on each step, uh, on each detail. I will tell you a story when we have to fly, let's say five times, five, five legs. So five takeoffs, five, five landings. And I'm flying with the same co-pilot. Now imagine I have to do the same checklist and we have at least 10, 12 checklists for a flight. We are doing the same checklist over and over again and not once we are not stopping ah come on we did it again we never we never miss a thing and i'm telling to people that in one month we're not uh, we're not losing one item when we found something which we uh, we forgot to act we are happy because we are uh, applying the same sop and the same checklist all the time and we are happy that applying it look it works this this is uh, this work this works so uh, the most important thing when you try to, to teach a co-pilot is not the knowledge, because the knowledge, if you are the enhanced, they will read more books. They will look at the, they will do some computer-based training. They will do more simulators. They will fly. They will develop their skills. The most important thing to teach them is their, their attitude, how to react, how to communicate, how to assess the situation, how to communicate, not just with the tower, with the colleagues, how to communicate the flight attendants, which are important in your aircraft. Because together you will close the door of that uh, machine, as you tell, uh, told us before. And if you are at uh, 39,000 feet, just you and your crew will be the one to solve the case. Just you and your crew will be able to, to land safely with a sick passenger with, or with a damage or with a fault in your machine. I'm sure there's procedures for those things too, but I'm sure you run into things. And th this is why it's so important because as an entrepreneur in business, there's always new things that are flying at you, you know? But uh, one of the things in, in my company that we have a lot of policies and procedures, we have a lot of SOP. And that's, a, I mean, checklists, just like you're talking about. And that's the only way that I've been able to scale the company to where it is right now. I have a, an amazing director of operations that put a lot of this in. You know, if you want to call it a co-pilot when it comes to the operations, that's him, right? And yeah. there's not, the only time we really communicate is pretty much like on an update scenario. It's like, this is what's going on and I need your decision here, please. Yeah, and, and it's amazing because most of my time with him is spent just teaching him how to build up more people, uh, teaching him leadership skills and enrolling him in those things. Because if you have a sick passenger, I'm assuming that not all sick passengers are the same, you know, and you, you don't have a checklist that applies to every single sick passenger, right? It all depends on what the scenario is. So how do you, how do you separate that? How do you prevent yourself? This is my question to Emil and Octavian. I would love you to weigh in here too, because this is, this is huge. There's a tendency, right? For entrepreneurs to want to dive in 
and do those things, you know, even if it's not their skill set. And I'm sure, Emil, maybe you have an urge, although it's been 18 years as a captain, right, to dive in and push a button right, to, to get to get in there. You know, how do you avoid that urge? Uh, because I'm the one uh, for the 18 years I have been an examiner with the European Union uh, Aviation Safety Agency. So I've been captain for more than 30 years now. Uh, the, because I'm teaching my people to do this is the easiest way not to follow the procedure to say I, I, I didn't follow the procedure because uh, uh, safety was involved because the rule is that you can you can let's say cross one SOP if the safety is involved in the benefit of safety you are not following the SOP and every time in my entire career I ask my co-pilots my captains ask okay show me and tell me how you improve your safety doing other than SOP. This is one thing. So maybe in my entire career, I, I heard about one story when a captain didn't follow the procedure and he was able to save the day. But other than that, the aircraft is very precise. This is one thing. The second one is that, uh, of course, you know better. When you are the leader, you are, you are more experienced, uh, you prove that, you have to, to prove to, to nobody again. But if you are not um, teaching or letting people to do their loop in their mind, because you do, the, the co-pilots or the young captains, they will do a mistake, but they are making the loop of thinking and to come back to uh, cross-check the action, you have to wait for that. And you are at uh, 12,000 meters, 39,000 feet, he's dying a mistake. And you're waiting there. Of course, I know what push button to press, and I'm waiting for them to realize what was the mistake. Uh, you know, it's uh, it's uh, uh, it's consuming. You stay there and you wait. <laughs> yeah. You need, a, you need a, a colleague who's prepared. And every time, of course, they are professional pilots. They will do the loop. Maybe there will be a longer loop than yours, but they will do the loop, and they will realize. And they go, oh, "Wow, I did this." Okay, you see. Looking in the proper way, acting on the proper way, following SOP, you always do the, the, the good thing. Now, about uh, not following the SOP, it's very difficult how to handle this, you know, because sometimes uh, the SOP is boring, you're doing all, all, the, all the, uh, the things the same, but for me, there's no flight like other. I can fly in the same destination, on the same airport, on the same runway, 10,000 times and every landing will be different because the wind will be different, the met conditions, the meteorological condition will be different. I will have a different weight. I will have, a, uh, everything will be different, different light. So there's no, uh, it's not mechanical. It, uh, to follow the SOP for me, is not something mechanical. It's like uh, the beat, the heartbeat, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, here's a, here's a question that, that can be, can be used to help us guide should I step in or should I uh, let it go? And the question is this, is it their need or is it my need? So when I'm tempted to do something and maybe um, uh, push, push someone aside and let me do the negotiation with the supplier or whatever, there should be this question, is it their need? Is it my colleague's need? Is he or she unable to do it? Or is it my need to do that? Is it me that is unpatient? Or is it me that is thinking something like, oh, I used to be in charge of suppliers a gazillion years ago, and it was fun talking to them. I want to do that again. It means it's my need, but it's not. So only act 
um, going over someone when, is, when it's clear to you that it is their need to do so. Maybe they're incapacitated, maybe they're, they're overwhelmed, they're too tired, they're whatever, it's, they're new on the role, then sure. But otherwise, if it's not their need, if it's just your need to do something different today or to just get involved or to whatever, then it's best to just stay aside and leave it. That's a great delineation there. Thank you for that, Octavian. I had another question for you, my man. Because you were talking about it was just so amazing seeing the way that pilots communicate or how communication takes place on the airplane. And if the pilot is just there, that the captain is just there to really make the decisions and everybody else is doing the work, what, what ways have you seen successful communication? Because obviously I would think that the pilot needs to understand all the information, right? The captain needs to understand all the information, right, Emil? Everything that's going on. What, what did you observe, Octavian, as far as like the, the flow of communication back to the captain? What was unique about that and interesting there? Yeah, what's what's unique, what's special, and um, I'm sure you've noticed this when you when you say you you listen to the communication, is there's always a feedback in communication in aviation, and by contrast, again in companies, many times there's no feedback. Just to give an example, if the tower says to the plane, um, maintain heading 260, for instance, the captain never says, okay. That doesn't exist. What does it mean? Okay, okay, I understood you, but I won't do it. Okay, I understood you and will do it, but not now. Uh, there's no, and it, it would be even inconceivable that if, if there were no feedback, if Tower says maintain heading 260, and then there's silence, right? There would be panic buttons. Why are they not responding? So there's always feedback. And the feedback is the, usually, in most cases, is the repeat of the message. This mm. is uh, Air France or Delta flight, whatever, maintaining heading 260, for instance. Now, what, what happens in companies? There's a meeting and maybe a manager presents something to the team. It might be a live meeting or a Zoom teams, whatever it is. And, and after 15 minutes of presenting, uh, the, the uh, boss might say something like, okay, um, did you understand? Whatever, what does everybody say? Everybody says, yes. No yes. one says, no, excuse <laughs> me, I'm the village idiot. I didn't understand. Uh, before you fire me, could you read? No. Or the, another question might be, um, okay, that was it. Do you have any questions? And again, people say, uh, no, everything's fine. Now, that does not mean that they understood exactly the message and the meaning and the nuances that I wanted to convey. And for me as a boss, if I have just done that presentation, um, it's, it should be unclear to me what they're, what's in their mind. So the best thing to do is maybe to, okay, let's have a five minute wrap up of the session. Who would like to say what were the main ideas for today's call? And then somebody says one, somebody says another. And if all the five ideas that you initially had in your mind are being said by them, then at least you know that you're on the same page. Or you could ask someone to do the summary, but don't, uh, what happens is I do the presentation and then I say, okay, I'll send you the summary by mail. So it's, it's also from me to you. And again, there's yeah. no feedback. So if there's one, one immediate learning that everybody can do is make sure there's feedback. And if you don't understand something, make sure you say something about it. Um, in in, uh, in tower, it, it could happen that the tower says something and there's overlap, somebody else was talking. It does not help anybody to say, no, no, I don't want to appear stupid and ask them to say again. No, no, no. Say again, please. And the tower 
will say again, please, because it's their job to do that. So whenever uh, we receive a message and we're not quite sure what it means, um, we should ask, for, for instance, somebody says, okay, Octavian, we need to, let's have a, um, an event with customers now before the fourth or fifth wave or whatever wave hits, let's have a party with customer. Octavian, I want you to be responsible, make sure we have a great party. Okay, but what does it mean, a great party? Because to someone, a great party might mean that we have four cellos in the corner of the room playing nice, uh, silent music, and we have some good uh, food. To some other people, there would be absolutely no cellos involved in the party. <laughs> no the music would not be in the corner <laughs> and will not be too silent. Talking about cellos. I know, right? Well, look at that. There's a cello the right there. <laughs> <laughs> Octavia, did you, know, did you know that? Did you know that was that in the room? Should, yeah. yeah, so you, a good party sure for me would just party. involve scotch. Yeah. That's it, and I'm good. <laughs> Yeah, or, or let's make sure the customer is happy. Of course, let's do that. But what, what, what do you mean by that, boss? What do you mean? Because, yeah, I can give the customer a discount of 100%. I'm sure they'll be happy. Is that what you meant? No, that's not what I meant. Okay, so feedback and whatever it is that you're not sure it's uh, ask. Ask them to say again and ask them to say what they mean. That's that's fascinating to discover that, you know, you, we see captains in the airport and they have their hats and, every, and everybody looks for them. Whoa, whoa, whoa. But they do not think for a second that their authority is diminished if they ask the other person to repeat the message or if yeah. they give feedback 100%. They understand it's and part of their job and they do it. Yeah, and this works in the cockpit on the intimate level as, as well. When I'm in the cockpit and I hear, let's say, I hear my co-pilot yelling at me, landing gear down, I will realize in a second that he commanded that before, twice, and I was too much paying attention. I was uh, too concentrated on other items that I didn't hear it. I will never be upset of it because the communication is impersonal in a cockpit. Yeah, yeah. The feedback itself, yeah, feedback, it's uh, a criticism. But in aviation, the criticism is a gift. So every time where the co-pilot tells me speed, that means that I'm not keeping the speed I told, I told him I will keep. I have two uh, to 10 knots more or five knots uh, less than I, uh, I, I agree with him to keep. So the speed it was only one answer from me. I have 16,000 hours, maybe he has 200. When a co-pilot tells me in a cockpit, speed, I will immediately respond correcting and I will, uh, uh, I will adjust my, uh, my speed. So the, the communication is, the feedback and communication is also impersonal in a cockpit. It's very important. That's gotta be pretty important in business too, right Octavian? You know, that, that it's oh, yes. impersonal, yeah. Yeah, and sometimes we we're too quick to um, interpret and to find scenarios that are not there um, uh, in whatever email. Some, some people read an email and explode because they read, maybe I am tired and or I am angry because of something else. And I read an email from a colleague or a customer and I go, oh, but that's just me adding meaning that maybe yeah. was not there. Again, what's the best thing to do whenever is something unclear, reply or even better, 
call the person because it's a richer communication than just email or Slack or whatever and say, hey, I got the email. Um, could you give me more details? And then they'll say, oh, yeah, it's just a minor stuff. Oh, OK, so there's no reason to there's no reason to panic. That's something that's lost in business these days because everyone depends on Slack so much. I mean, even in, internally, we use Slack or text messages, you know, and it's always just pick up the freaking phone. <laughs> exactly. You, you can't yeah. mistake tone when you just pick up the phone. Well, yeah. look at that. I just rhymed too. <laughs> Gentlemen, you both are amazing. Where, where can we find the book? Is it on Amazon or anywhere we can buy books? Yeah, you can find it on Amazon. You can find it on Barnes & Noble, Apple Books, and so on. Uh, if, you, if you go to darkcockpitbook.com, you can download a free chapter and read it. Um, it's, uh, the, the name of the chapter is A New Crew Every Day. Uh, and it's 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 a very interesting chapter, uh, and the book is available paperback and Kindle, and yeah, maybe audiobook towards the end of the year. Just absolutely incredible, Emil Octavian. Thank you for today. You've inspired me. I mean, a lot of things that have been resonating with me over the past year or so, you've just brought up today, and I appreciate you guys. Incredible work. Thank you. Thank you very thank much. You. Congratulations for all, all your achievements, and good luck for it. Thank you, my friend. Thanks. Thank you.